0: The reading today is from Mark 1, verses 1 to 8, and can be found on page 1002 in your Bibles. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the River Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the
1: Lord. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Mark's Gospel is one of the most influential books ever written. Uh, It's one of the most read books uh, ever written, and it's the book that holds the world record as being the most translated book in history. So you see, when the Bible's being translated into a new language... The translators usually start with the Gospel of Mark, and because it kind of perfectly captures the Christian message, the heart of that message, it's a great book to recommend if anyone ever asks you, could you tell me, or how would I learn more about Christianity? So I wonder how you would start such an important and influential book. Well, Mark goes with this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Every word counts. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, who is the Messiah and the Son of God. So he's one sentence in, and he's already explained the heart of the gospel message. And his first two words are... The beginning, which echoes the start of Genesis, doesn't it? So he's he's referring back to perhaps the creation story and the idea that God is offering a new era for mankind, the New Testament era. His first eight words are the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And I love that. The beginning of the good news about Jesus. Because there's nowhere is there a sister verse which says the end of the good news about Jesus. There is no end to the good news about Jesus. While well, Mark says nothing about Jesus' birth, he gets straight onto Jesus' ministry. And he actually starts with John the Baptist, as we've heard. Now, I guess it's a familiar story for most of us. But I'm going to suggest it's full of surprises. That's going to be one of the themes of this talk. Um, but before we do, isn't it wonderful to have John back with us? Yes. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. John, it really is good to have you back with us. Uh, we wish we could see you a little more often. Thank you so much for ministering with us this morning. It's great to have you back. And I do have a gift for you this morning. John. Thank you. God is very merciful and gracious. The original plan was to attack Mr. Pryor with the parsnip, which is something I have wanted to do for many, many years. (laughs) However, given that we're going to have the peace in a few minutes, I thought that maybe wasn't wasn't a great idea. So I can see you're very, very disappointed, but never mind I would have been making a very important theological point had I attacked Mr. Pryor with a parsnip, and I'm going to come to that shortly. We're going to go back to Mark first, and he begins by explaining that John's ministry was prophesied in the Old Testament. So both Malachi and Elijah, about 300 years apart, prophesied that someone would come to tell the people to repent and seek forgiveness. And that would be to prepare the way for someone else, for Jesus, and what he would preach, and what he would actually deliver. Now, both prophets said that uh, he would call from the wilderness, which is absolutely ludicrous. What a total waste of time. Why would you call in the wilderness? There's no one to hear you. If you are a prophet with a history-changing message, the first one from God for about 400 years, why would you go to the wilderness? Surely you'd go to the temple to speak or to the towns and the marketplaces. You just would not go to the wilderness. So I can imagine both of those prophets saying to God, "Uh, this really isn't making any sense. I think I've misheard you. Could you just go through that with me again? that was the message, and they went with it. And even though it seemed ridiculous, they wrote it down, they prophesied it, and how wonderful that they were right. And perhaps because we have the benefit of hindsight and knowing what actually happened, I think we often lose sight of just how amazing the Old Testament prophecies were. Did any of you foresee that I might attack the service leader with a parsnip? Even with quite a big clue and only 20 minutes to look ahead, I'd be surprised if any of us quite got that. Which is a silly reminder, but a reminder nevertheless that what the Old Testament prophets were doing was utterly miraculous. They looked ahead hundreds of years, not 20 minutes, and they looked ahead to cultures and places that they could never have seen or or imagined. And they predicted even crazier things like attacking people with parsnips. They looked ahead and prophesied things like a virgin giving birth. Like the King of Kings riding triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey. How were they able to do that? There's only one explanation, isn't there? It's miraculous. And I forget that, and perhaps some of us do. We ought to be, I think, more awestruck when we hear these stories from the Old Testament and those prophecies. So the prophets hit the bullseye again, and mad as it seems, John really does call out from the wilderness. So why does he do that? Well, one line of thought is that it's uh, symbolic. I did mention Genesis a moment ago, and... If you think about it, in the Old Testament, man starts, mankind starts in paradise with Adam, and he slowly descends, steadily descends into a spiritual wilderness. By the end of the Old Testament, the people are lost in the wilderness. In the New Testament, mankind is offered the reverse journey. We can start in the wilderness, and literally so here. but We're offered the chance to end in heaven. And, of course, the Bible does, in Revelation, end in heaven. So, verse 4, John the Baptist did appear in the wilderness, and he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And, astonishingly, his call is heard, because verse 5 says, the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to meet him. So, how come? I cannot explain that except to say that it was a miracle. It was a miracle. John was a Jew and the verse I just read explains and confirms that his ministry was to the Jews. Which brings me to another surprise. Why was he baptizing Jews? It's surprising because the Jews don't practice baptism They never did, and they still don't. Synagogues don't have fonts. The Jews had lots of laws about ceremonial washing, but that was all to do with hygiene and preventing disease. They didn't practice baptism as a sign of faith, a declaration of faith, a sign of repentance. They just didn't, and they still don't. Perhaps that's why he was called John the Baptist. He was the only Baptist Well, actually, there's an important caveat to that. In some Jewish circles, baptism was a thing. But it was only for Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism. Now, with that perspective, we can see that a Jew submitting to baptism was essentially saying this I confess that I'm as far away from God as a Gentile. I confess I'm not worthy to be part of God's chosen people. I'm so unclean I need to be washed from head to toe. So this would have been a complete humbling of yourself as a Jew. And if you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus would come and teach a few weeks later, that we must humble ourselves before him. So I think viewed through that lens, what John doing was revolutionary. And it was very brave. To tell a Jew that they needed to be baptized could easily be seen as a huge insult. Yet still they went to him, and still they submitted to being baptized. Which leads me to the next surprise. Why was John so successful? He's calling out in a place where no one can hear him. If you do happen to hear him, you have to go out to him. He won't come to you. And he's not exactly chosen the easiest place to get to. It's a bit like me preaching from a field near Junction 10 of the M25 at the moment. And he doesn't sugarcoat his message. Luke records him saying this, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Next, he's going to tell them to repent and to be baptized, which, as I've said, could be seen as a great insult. So, in modern parlance, it's not a great sell. Yet they come in their droves. Why do they come in their droves? Why is he so successful? I can't say anything other than it's only because God was moving, wasn't it? God was stirring people's hearts to go out there, He was inspiring John as He spoke. He was moving so that people could sense the power and the truth in what John was saying. He was telling them that something was missing in their lives, and it resonated. And I take great encouragement from that. When God does move and when he really does choose to speak, whole societies can change. Great things can happen, spectacular and surprising things across many, many people. So there's one last surprise or mystery that I would like to talk to. What happened to all those people who John baptised? Where did they go? John didn't want them for himself. All he wanted to do was to point people to Jesus. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps whose, whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He was pointing everyone to Jesus. So, how come Jesus didn't have a ready made army of converts and followers when he started out? He seemed to have to pretty much start from scratch. So, where did all these people go? I'm not sure, but I will offer two suggestions. The first is we might think of the parable of the sower. Remember that parable? People's faith sprouts up, but it quickly withers when opposition comes and life gets in the way. The second perhaps the second idea is that John his mission wasn't to make disciples. John's calling, which Malachi, uh, Isaiah and Mark all agree on, his calling was to prepare the way for the Lord. He was to preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and that was it. The forgiving of the sins, the baptizing, the making of new Christians, that was all for Jesus to do. John's job was to prepare the way. And I think that's my closing message today. Nobody, not even John the Baptist, can truly make new Christians. That is the job of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that our job is simply to prepare the way. to prepare the way for the Lord. Or, as Mark put it, in those very first verse, the very first verse, it is to proclaim the good news about Jesus, the Messiah the Son of God. We can leave Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do everything else, which is absolutely great. All we need to do is to prepare the way. So the big question is, who are you going to prepare the way for in 2024?